the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. It's Wednesday, June 8th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking at the battle for the Irish rights to major sporting events. Is the game up for RTE? Laura Slattery will join me later to give her verdict. We'll also be weighing up the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council's assessment that the government needs to find an extra €6 billion Euro just to maintain the current level of public services over the next five years. What will this mean for Michael Noonan's budget arithmetic this year? Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash business but first to the sports rights coverage of the olympics fifa world cup and other major sporting events was once the preserve of our national broadcaster rte but no more the fragmentation in television services has brought more competitors into the market and joining me in studio now to discuss the implications for our national broadcaster is laura slattery our media expert laura you're very welcome uh, we might kick off with the euro 2016 football championships which begin in france uh, this weekend i'm heading off there myself uh, back in the day rte won the rights uh, for the whole tournament but some months ago it sub-licensed 21 matches and a final to TV3 explain all to us yeah, it's quite an unprecedented situation. Um, RTE uh, won the rights in this country via the uh, European Broadcasting Union, which did the deal with UEFA, you know, so all fully confirmed and wrapped up last summer. And that's but maintaining a trend for many, many years. They've yeah. they've covered the European Championships for many, many years now. Absolutely. I mean, everybody in this country uh, associates, you know, the success of the uh, Irish football team with uh, the, the, the Bill O'Hurley and the other. Yeah. Yeah, Giles, Dunphy, yeah. Brady and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just been it was a huge success for RTE. Um, and last November, um, it emerged that RTE was going to have to balance the books for 2016, mm-hmm. which was set to be an incredibly expensive year for the broadcaster, and it is proving so, um, because of its um, spending on the uh, 1916 centenary celebrations, which, you know, wasn't insubstantial as well as the general election. Um, It has the rights to this year's Olympics um, and a number of other expenses meant that it was going to have to recoup some cash somehow because it, it maybe we won't know for some time, but it, it is probably, could well end up in a deficit for 2016. Yeah, and but I suppose the backdrop to all of this is the fact that advertising income it continues to be under pressure even though the Irish economy has, has recovered. Yeah, I mean, it's under pressure um, for a lot of different media organisations, but but the broadcasters aren't jumping up and down for sure. Um you know, a bit like print, they're under pressure from digital sources as well. Um, there's been a bit of caution in the in the, in the economy um, at this year. Maybe people had expected it would go a little bit better on advertising. But the real problem is really just the cost of the transmission. You know, it's, it's, it, these are great events. They bring, bring in massive audiences, but they, you know, they all goes on the books. So, as I said, last November, it was quite unprecedented. It said it was going to have to look to mm. sub-licenses. TV3 were very eager. They said, I think the exact words were, we're happy to relieve RTE of some of this burden. And, and of course, they were coming off the yeah. back of a successful Rugby World Cup. They were on a high after the Rugby World Cup, which, which not only brought in massive audiences for the Ireland games, but also had pretty attractive audiences for, you know, England's games as well. And, uh, in fact, uh, in this, you know, uh, this tournament has the exclusive rights now as a result of the deal it it did to uh, 21 um, matches. um, Plus the final. Plus the final, which is shared with RTE. 
and of course the UK broadcasters as well. Mm. I mean, so tell us a little bit about the TV3 matches. What, are they, what have they got? Yeah. What kind of banger are they getting for the book? The first one they have is is England's opening game against Russia okay, on Saturday night. Yeah, 8 p.m. Saturday night this this weekend, and it, it's attractive because in the UK, this is one of the games that ITV rather than the BBC has, and um, it's not. So it won't be on. You know, because of the UTV Ireland situation, it, it you know won't be. It's not on, available to Irish yeah, subscribers. It's not, it's not available to most. You know, you can tune in ITV via the Sky Satellite, but most people don't. And it's not on Virgin Media. So the easiest way, in fact, the only, pretty much the only way that Irish people will watch that England match is on TV3. Um, and that might come as a surprise to some people who weren't you know, expecting to have to turn on TV3. Some people never turn on TV3. And there's um, a huge curiosity value of yeah. watching England games, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it has another England game. It has the England-Slovakia game is one of their games. And it also has um, three of the round of 16 matches and two of the quarterfinals exclusively mm. in Ireland. I think you have a Northern Ireland game as well, am I right? It has, um, do, it do has we- the exciting fixture that is Ukraine versus Northern Ireland. Okay. That's one of theirs. And um, yeah. So that's one of the TV3 ones. All right. Do we have any sense, first of all, how much RT paid for these rights? No, because it said it went through the European Broadcasting Union. So it's actually very tricky sometimes to to get a sense of exactly how much they pay for it. Or how much they managed to recoup from TV3 or what percentage they managed to recoup. No, I'm afraid afraid I don't know. But I mean, put it this way, TV3 has 21 matches plus the final. Uh, That leaves RT2 with 29 exclusive matches plus the final so they've given away quite a lot of the matches um, you know this is not just a handful of matches here yeah. this is really shared coverage between RTE it and must be two a t- it must be a tough pill for the RTE sports guys in particular to have to swallow well I think coming you know it's, it's this is coming ahead of course uh, from 2018 it's lost the Six Nations rugby to TV3 and a lot of other things are under pressure as well and it has particular consequences I think for RTE2 as a channel um, RTE2 as a channel it's, it's uh, shared audience share bounces around from, from month to month um, April tends to be kind of a bad month for the channel and it would have been about 5% audience share in the April just gone it's not great um, but say last July when it had wor- a lot of World Cup action sorry that's um, 2014 it seems like only a year ago but two years ago um, it would have had a 15% share. So 5 to 15%, that's what it's capable of mm. jumping as a result of these massive audiences. That's RT2. And of course, yeah. they've, they've moved the Sunday game live to RT1, which is an interesting development. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting how, how you know what's, what's going to happen to RT2 in the future when mm. it, it we'll, has we'll, less look, We'll talk about the GA in a moment. But let's talk about the Olympics because you, you mentioned that the Olympics are on this year from Rio. RT have the exclusive rights. So we're all looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll be a good Olympics for our and we win a number of medals. Um, but in the future, there's been a big shift uh, in terms of the TV rights in Europe in that Discovery, which owns the Eurosport channel, has secured the rights. Am I right in saying for the uh, for the next two set of summer and winter games after? Yeah, after I mean, across ones? most of Europe, uh, Discovery's uh, rights kick in from 2018, uh, which means the first summer games is, is Tokyo 2020. Um, it, that, that's later in the UK and France where they're, the BBC had already done the deal. But, but it has agreed to sub-license to some national yeah, broadcasters. Yeah, I mean, in fact, so that was a condition coverage. of the deal that it did with yeah. uh, the International Olympic Committee, which, you know, wants its uh, uh, games to be watched. So obviously free-to-air channels are the way to do that. So it was a condition of that, that and also the local free-to-air broadcasting regulations in various countries, including Ireland, that a certain number hours would be on terrestrial or, mm. or you know free to air channels so RTE's deal was just announced in Paris there last week 
So I, I suspect that um, most viewers won't notice any difference because, you know, even this year, RTE is sub-licensing from somebody. The, dif- the difference is that they're sub-licensing from an agency that it doesn't have a broadcast platform. Whereas in Tokyo 2020, Discovery is going to want to keep certain, you know, bells and whistles for Eurosport and to really, you know, create a buzz around Eurosport. And, you know, whether it's just like on demand action via Eurosport player or just some, you know, particular types of of coverage, they want to uh, increase their viewership, get more uh, uh, advertising in and, you know, make Eurosport. I mean, one quote is that make it the ESPN of of Europe, because traditionally it's been a bit more second tier and the Olympics is the biggest thing that it's gone after so far. Yeah, right. I, I suppose what Irish people are concerned about is are they going to be able to watch Irish, let's say Irish boxers uh, fighting in a final or a semi-final? Are they able, going to yeah. be able to watch that on RTE or will they have to watch it on Eurosport or, or you know, maybe if some of our athletes are competing in a, in a, a final event in the athletics uh, competitions, are they going to be able to watch that on RTE or are they going, are they going to have to watch it on I Eurosport? I suspect the biggest moments will still be, including the biggest moments for us as a nation, will still be available on uh, on RTE. Or the 100 but metres we, final, which yeah. mightn't feature any Irish competitors but yeah, it's usually popular. I imagine like that. That's the you know the blue chip Olympic events. Uh, I'm, they will be part of the uh, regular coverage. That's why I suggest most viewers probably won't notice the difference. But mm. it's when you're getting in into the, the sort of the longer hours and the, the the option of having multiple streams and on demand playbacks and so on. That's that possibly the best um, yeah. angle will be on Eurosport. But the discovery there will be digital el- coverage on RTE as well. Yeah, the discovery element with the Olympics is interesting because John Malone is a big investor in uh, discovery. John Malone owns Virgin Media in Ireland. He also owns uh, Virgin Media, owns TV3. Yeah, I mean, this is where uh, it gets kind so of you, very complicated. But If you yeah. join the dots, you know, potentially, uh, perhaps for TV3 down the road, there might be some Olympic coverage coming its way. Yeah, I mean... John Malone is a really um, interesting figure, and he certainly he's he's been a sort of a, a business partner of uh, Rupert Murdoch's in the past, but they've also had a number of clashes. And sports rights is really one of the big fronts, and there is a bit of an Irish connection there um, because he has a stake in Discovery, um, and he uh, is the biggest shareholder in. Uh, uh, Liberty Global, which is uh, one of the uh, sort of related company company to Liberty Media, which is his his company, and say yeah, there is a sort of a kind of an indirect link between TV3 and Eurosport, and it's it, these are all kind of these are and this is just one part of the sort of the forces, shall we say, mm. that make it, uh, it life difficult for public service broadcasters. The other is being, of course, the you know the big sort of almost you could say the heavyweights are Sky and BT because they're going after they've you know they've gone after and are, have paid quite a huge amount of money for the most premium uh, football rights which for the moment you know Discovery isn't in that market yet and uh, possibly won't be because it depends on Sky and BT for carriage deals in the UK and uh, Virgin Media and Liberty that end of things you know they, they're not in that market yet either but as I say there's plenty a lot of other premium sports rights that they have gone after and they will go after. Do we know if TV3 were bidders for the sub-licensing of rights for the 2020 games? I don't. For the Olympics, no. I I, I think they they may have looked at it, but I'm not sure if they actually went through with the bid. bid. Um, But we know that they're interested in GAA. Well, exactly. I was coming on to that. GAA rights are going to be up for grabs.
grabs after uh, this year's championship is out of the way. Sky already on the pitch. Of course, this is a, a, a jewel in the crown, if you like, for RTE. They've had these GAA rights uh, from when God was a boy uh, and they won't want to give them up. It's very important in terms of their domestic audience. So how do you see that shaping up and, and what are you hearing from the GAA in, in what they might be th- thinking? TV3 previously had the rights. Sky took their package of rights. Uh, RT maintained theirs. And of course, TG Cahar and Satan to get some subsidiary rights as I mean, well. There's clearly uh, sort of differing opinions within the GAA about, you know, what they should do and, and what, you know, the, there is possibly more money available if they encourage a big bidding auction. Um, but there will be a lot of RTE loyalists within GAA as well who recognise that RTE has this long tradition and also can deliver the highest audiences. Um, to put you know that audience in perspective, I was actually just looking back at the uh, performance of the uh, Euro 2012 um, ratings. And the Republic of Ireland's match against Croatia, I'm sure, which was I'm sure was joyous for all concerned, was the highest rating uh, of rated sports event that year with 1.2 million viewers. And the match against Spain was also was second. But the uh, the All Ireland GAA football final did come in ahead against the Italy match. You know, so it's up there. It's it's traditionally one of the. Oh, it's pretty the, the consistent. I mean, it's a, it's a similar number each year, isn't it? Absolutely. It's 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 the GAA delivers for RTE, and RTE needs. Yeah, I would suggest, and it, I think it would be a does disaster. Does need RTE? I think it possibly does, but you know, I mean, it's that, not just that TV; said, it's, it's radio as well. It's it's online. Yeah, it's yeah, GA Go, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, they've there's a business partnership there on GA Go, which is the international um, platform for watching uh, GA matches. Um, that said, TV three through Virgin Media are you know they're richer than they ever were, and at their position, I believe is that. They don't want to just to sort of dabble in GAA. If they're going after some rights, they want to go after a significant, you know, package of rights. Not, you know, that's the only way of driving advertising is to, to sell a particular, you know, substantial package. And throw that, you know, the possibility that Sky will go in again. Uh, and we also have Satanta, now owned by Air, um, as a possible bidder, mm. the likely bidder. And that's 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 for and of course Air is a sponsor of the GA yeah. football championships. They would love to get their hands on some GA as mm. well. So that looks like well, they have league coverage at the minute. They don't have championship. Yeah, live championship the, coverage yeah, well, yeah. I suppose I mean the the big championship. Um, but there's going to be a pretty fierce uh, battle there. Um, so that's happy days, I think, if yeah. you're in the GA. And I suppose, Laura, if, if we're to look five or ten years down the road, we've seen over the past decade or more even how the BBC's rights have. Uh, slowly but surely being whittled away, mostly by Sky, but also by Channel 4 and, and others as well. Uh, is RTE facing the same fate? I think they're facing a very similar fate. Yes, I do. Um, and they will likely um, go down the partnership route, I feel, where you know we've seen the BBC and ITV go in on Six Nations. And I'll see, I'm sure we'll see RTE and TV3 go in together on certain um, joint bids. Because uh, because these things are so expensive, it's almost the only way to do it. I I, I would imagine. I would imagine. Okay, Laura Slattery, thank you for joining us. We'll take a short break now, and we'll return with the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council's latest assessment of the Irish economy. At Irish Life, we can tell you that forty nine percent of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Now, welcome back. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council's latest assessment is that the government needs to spend an extra, or find an extra €6 billion Euro just to maintain the current level of public services over the next five years. It's a rather bleak assessment. And joining me in studio to, to discuss this and some other uh, issues around the Irish economy are uh, Cliff Taylor, uh, editor of the business section in the Irish Times, and Arthur Beasley, the economics editor with this newspaper. Uh, Cliff, we might start with you. Um, tell us a little bit about this uh, extra €6 billion Euro just to maintain public services over the next five years. It's a, it's a stark figure. It is. It's, it's a bit of a reality check, I suppose, for the government. Who uh, We saw the programme for government negotiated uh, in lengthy talks with the independents and, and, and Fianna Fáil and a whole range of commitments made about mm. new spending, uh, right, left and centre and various projects. We never, projects. Did, cost it, though, we we? never did. And this indeed is one of the points that the uh, Fiscal Advisory Council makes, that, look, the government hasn't sat down and put on a list what is it going to spend, where is it going to cut taxes, and on the other side of the ledger, how is it going to pay for all this? So that, I think, was a central a central part of what they said in what they published yesterday. What the £6 billion really is, is that they're looking out over the next five years and saying, OK, there's going to be public pay increases. Okay, there are going to be adjustments needed for inflation, that Ireland has an ageing population. And when you take all these things into account, it's likely to eat up a lot of the room for manoeuvre that the mm. uh, the government is going to have, assuming it were to stay and, in place. And Michael for, Noonan, for I think, pre the election, had said that we had potentially 12 billion yeah. in new budgetary commitments that could be achieved uh, over the lifetime, the five-year lifetime yeah, of the so government. Yeah, so that's, that's half of it eaten up. And I suppose also that assumes that everything remains fair and that economic growth remains strong. Uh, and in the you know briefing notes that uh, Minister Noonan's civil servants have given to him, there are many uh, which, which have been published today. Caveats, website, many caveats about the dangers, the dangers in the world economy, the dangers of Brexit. Of course, civil servants are always cautious, they're always paid to be cautious. Uh, you'd expect that's what they say to their minister, but at the same time, uh, you know, they, they probably have a point. But, I, you know, the underlying message is that a lot of the room for manoeuvre that the government has is going to be eaten up by automatic increases. And we've already seen that today with reports that the government has signed up to big increases in health spending this year to deal yeah. with an overrun, increase in spending on the justice budget uh, to cover guard overtime. So immediately we see uh, we see money being uh, being used up here. And all in the context of a period when Ireland is under control, I suppose, or has to, under, un, un, has, has to, has to stay within uh, very strict EU budget rules, rules which limit the amount we, additional amount we can spend each year, and rules, rules which oblige us to reduce the deficit, the amount we borrow at a specific reasonably fast pace each year. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's going to be tough enough, I think. Arthur, you've covered the Fiscal Advisory Council's assessments uh, in, in the past, and um, they have tended to uh, throw a large bucket of water um, over over kind of projections about uh, the, the health of the Irish economy. Um, sh- should we be concerned about their latest assessment, or should we take it with a pinch of salt? 
Well, I mean, that's what the Fiscal Council is there for. And this is a statutory body with a specific remit, remit to look in a very detailed and considerable way at all. Yes, yeah, so well, it's, it's a creature of the crash, mm. essentially. And the, the objective is to inform public debate and political debate uh, to ensure that the mistakes which led us over the edge so uh, dramatically and so catastrophically all those years ago are not made again. Now, the uh, Fiscal Council is, in its nature, uh, necessarily a very, very cautious institution. So at a time when the government was uh, easing off, when the previous government was easing off on austerity and easing off at the level at which uh, taxes were being increased and expenditure was being cut, it was saying that the government should continue to do so, something which many in political circles would have viewed to be a political impossibility. But I do, I do think there's a import, very important function here. And I, I think the, the criticisms are well-made and seem to me to be grounded in economic common sense. Anyone who read the programme for government uh, would have to conclude that uh, the person with the calculator uh, didn't seem to be in attendance at the meeting. There's a whole pile of promises there, no costings, and really, you know, these are aspirational, and these must be measured against the very specific pledge made by the incoming government that it was going to abide to the letter of these European and domestic fiscal rules. These rules are enshrined in domestic law. We had a referendum. So it is going to be difficult for the government. And everything it's everything it promises to do must be viewed through the prism of this pledge to abide by the rules mm. because it's that pledge which people on the outside world, people in the money markets, people in credit rating agencies, it's that pledge to which they look for a sign of the government's fiscal bona fides. Yeah. Uh, Cliff, I note that the, um, the the Fiscal Advisory Council said that the government's uh, capital spending plans, which involve an additional $4 billion a year out to 2021, um, are extremely modest by historical and international levels. What should we make of that? Well, I suppose what we should make of it is the standard economic advice to the government would be, look, you've cut back really heavily on capital spending, on investment spending during the crisis. Um, you know, it was, it was, I suppose, the easier political route to take than cutting back on day-to-day spending. But that with the economy growing again, uh, we now urgently need to spend more in this area, everything mm. from broadband to roads to a new, air, new railway for the airport, public transport. Whatever, public transport, all these areas need uh, need investment and they need heavy levels of investment, particularly in, a, in an economy that's growing at, at the rate that the Irish economy is growing at. But the problem is, such as our current spending commitments and, and, our, and the tax promises made by the government that, as the, uh, as the council said, it's just not clear where the money is going to come from. Uh, to spend more on these capital projects and even the government in its own plans has had to be necessarily modest in this area. Pretty much every economist would say, or most economists would say, look, you need to rebalance here. You need to spend more in this area because this is what's going to create jobs and protect the economy for the future and protect it from the kind of overheating, which was one of the problems that we faced uh, when we headed into the uh, into the crash. Yeah. Arthur, there is the school of thought. I mean, some people wonder why we just don't uh, generate more debt. It's it's practically, we're, we're paying little or nothing for our debt on uh, capital markets at, at the minute. Why not just borrow more money and plough it into infrastructure which will yield a return uh, in Ireland for years to come? It's not as simple as that, but uh, just explain to us why. Well, I mean, two things. The the, the net, the, to- the total volume of Ireland's national debt is in excess of 200 billion euro at this point. Sure, the debt ratio, that's the ratio of the total debt vis-a-vis mm. the size of the economy, has come way down, but we haven't started to pay back 
the debt that was uh, that that is the legacy of the crash. And while the debt ratios look pretty favourable and are on an improving trend, were there to be any economic reversal, it's very very clear that those ratios would go into pretty dramatic and precipitous reverse, and the country would then find itself uh, with great difficulty with great difficulty on debt markets trying to raise new debt. So after a debt crisis of this magnitude, uh, economic common sense would suggest that the thing to start doing is to start paying down debt as opposed to taking out yet more debt. And it's important to point out at this point that the Irish state is still borrowing for day-to-day purposes. Now, the deficit is below the 3% European uh, limit, if you like. That marks an achievement, but we, uh, we have yet to reach a point in which we're even paying back the debts which were taken on. And, you know, that money still has to be repaid, and that is the burden mm. on the shoulders of every Irish. And, of course, citizen. question marks over whether Irish water is on or off balance sheet and all of that. Uh, of course, concept. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, I mean, the, the, the money still has to be repaid, no matter, you know, matter whether it is on balance sheet or off it. And even if it was off balance sheet, I mean, the scale of money involved in the Irish water case uh, is really quite small when compared with the 200 billion in excess of uh, which is on the which is on the balance sheet. Yeah. Uh, Cliff, one of the interesting points that they've raised is around corporation tax receipts. We got a big jump last year, um, and uh, the the council's chairman John McHale has cautioned that much of this revenue was unexplained, and it come from a small number of big corporations, and it could disappear very quickly. Yeah, and the the briefing notes uh, again presented to the minister uh, by his civil servants, which as I said were published today, are very cautious on this point. Uh, they attribute the kind of reassurance about. 2015 uh, to 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 the revenue commissioners who they say assured them that this was kind of stable revenue would be recurring. Don't say very much about 2016. Again, corporate nation taxes have been have been have been running ahead, and and I think the fiscal council is probably right. Uh, there's a lot of big moving parts in international corporate taxation. Uh, there are patents uh, being moved around by big companies uh, which are changing the flow of taxation. There's write-offs. Uh, I think it would be it would be very dangerous to rely on this, uh, certainly on this rate of growth continuing. Uh, the department does make the, the point that all they're expecting this year is that the actual current level of corporation tax seen last year will be mm. repeated this year. That does seem reasonable. But we certainly can't bank on this going forward because uh, goodness knows what, what mm. changes they're going to come. Does it suggest that some of these corporations are actually paying to 12.5% rate of tax that they're supposed to pay as opposed to, you know, uh, only paying a fraction of that which we discovered a couple of years ago or, or is that wishful thinking? I think that's probably wishful thinking, Kieran. to be honest with you. I think what it suggests is that some of them have come to the conclusion that they're going to end up paying a bit more tax somewhere. Mm. It, it may suggest that they have started to pull back on some of the really aggressive tax uh, avoidance mechanisms which avoided which uh, which involved uh, tax havens such as Bermuda and the Cayman Islands uh, that they may realize that that parking money in these offshore havens is a bit more difficult than it was before that avoiding tax completely is a bit more difficult than it was before uh, but I think the number of the really big companies paying 12 and a half percent I'd be surprised if, if I'd be surprised if there's many very very yeah. very many of them doing that uh, Arthur you've covered the Apple case uh, which is uh, ongoing with the European uh, Commission uh, it was suggested in the run-up to the general election by Ruth Coppinger and her colleagues at the AAA PBP that uh, they owe us, Apple owes us uh, 19 billion euro in back tax. 
uh, for all his activities in Ireland over the years. And uh, if they simply paid us that money, we could pay for the devil and all in terms of public services. Do you buy that argument? Uh, no. Uh, the 19 billion stems from a report carried out by JP Morgan, which is investment banker, uh, to Apple, which uh, took a deep dive, if you like, into this question uh, one year ago. JP Morgan, in arriving at this uh, quite rudimentary calculation, uh, emphasized that these were very, very rough estimates. And the the point it was making that even in a scenario in which Apple was forced to pay back, to pay $19 billion to the Irish Exchequer, which I don't think anyone really seriously thinks is in play, uh, the, the point that JP Morgan were making in that context was that this would be uh, but a blip, if you like, in as compared with the very vast cash mountain which Apple holds. Uh, so I don't think we're talking uh, multiple billions of that order, but there still is a very tricky issue because we don't know how, where the Commission is going to come down at the end of the day in this particular case. There's been a huge political pushback uh, as between Washington, the authorities in the US and Brussels and yet the commissioner is saying, look at, you know, there is no question of undue attention or improper attention being placed on American uh, companies in this setting. And then we have the Irish uh, government, if you like, in the middle uh, insistent all the time that no special arrangements were made for Apple or for any other country and making the case that any such arrangements would have been illegal in Irish law and that they, these are not the type of things that any tax authority uh, should be doing. And that's very much the line from the revenue commissioners as well. Uh, Cliff Taylor, just uh, sum up for us what kind of headroom Michael Noonan's likely to have in the budget and, and what all of the pressures that you mentioned earlier that are mm. coming through, what's it going to mean in terms of uh, budget arithmetic and how's it going to balance the books effectively? Well, I think you're looking at a budget that's going to be a bit less, a good deal less generous than uh, the budget for this year, which was which was uh, announced last October. Uh, the figures, uh, as now presented, suggest we'll have he'll have about around nine hundred million to add to uh, to spending and, and taxes. And yet, sorry, to cut across you, but and yet we've seen, as you mentioned earlier, the Department of Health getting an additional five hundred million euro yeah, and, yeah, and Garda overtime an yeah, extra forty. I, I'm we're yet as yet a little unclear how that's going to fit into the arithmetic. Obviously, tax has been running well ahead of uh, target this year. It may be that the government ex- believes that it can afford that within the sums for this year. Uh, but I think you're going to see a reasonably modest budget, uh, a reasonably modest, modest budget in October, despite the fact that the public finances are are in, are in good health. And I think the minister is going to struggle to to meet the, the two ministers are going to struggle to meet the kind of the sense in the program for government that there was going to be money spent right, left, and centre. And what about tax cuts? Limited, I think uh, it's already clear from the programme for government that the emphasis is going to be on spending. That was seen to be one of the messages coming from the electorate. Uh, I think Fine Gael will still want to put some tax cuts in. I think we'll see, still see some cut, uh, some cut if it can be afforded in the USC. But I think the promise of abolishing the USC is now going to be pushed out. It, it'll probably be uh, maintained in theory, if you like. Uh, but the idea that it could be done over the period of one government or over the next few years is going to be quietly forgotten and it, it will be put as an aspiration for the for the long-term future. Because remember, there's going to be public sector pay increases Pressure. likely to be, have to be factored in here as well. Arthur? I, I think the USC might well be eliminated by the time of the 110th or 120th anniversary of the 1916 rising. To go back to the uh, the, the revenue uh, question, the point is made by the Fiscal Council in its report that uh, it's only if... Uh, additional revenue comes in that the government might well be in a position to comply with the pledge it has made to meet the uh, to meet the fiscal rules and here we have a scenario in which 
the government for perfectly understandable political reasons. There is a cash shortage in the uh, in the health service. There is a requirement for Garda overtime. We've a, a spate of killings in, in north central Dublin uh, for many months now. Um, but uh, it seems that those additional tax revenues are already being spent by the government. And it was the very granting of a supplementary estimate at, in the run-up to the budget last year that led to uh, a previous round of criticism from Professor John McHale and the Fiscal Advisory Council. Uh, perhaps interesting that uh, this one was announced the day after the Fiscal Advisory Council had its press conference rather than the day before. <laughs> right, okay. uh, all right, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget to get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Cliff Taylor and Arthur Beasley for their contributions. I'm off to the Euros next week, so this will be the last time that I will have Arthur as a guest on this business podcast. Many of you will have heard that Arthur is leaving the Irish Times after 18 years of starting service and he's heading for a big new adventure with the Financial Times in Brussels. I'd like to wish Arthur every success in his new role. He's been both a host and a guest on this podcast, although not at the same time. And I'll leave you this week with this short vignette of his contribution to the show. Until next time, take care. Good day and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. There's nothing to see here. Please go away. We're not talking the sport today, but we are talking the business of the sport. And with me here in studio is Laura Slattery, John McManus, Dominic Coyle, Owen Burke Kennedy, Kira O'Brien, Mark Paul, Pamela Newingham, Barry O'Halloran, and also with us is Kieran Hancock. Thank you very much indeed, Kieran. It's always good to be engaged in novel developments on this podcast. So, Kieran, uh, what's going on today? No one in the revenue committee is going to get thrown under a bus for these returns. I even met one guy who um, had lost all his money on the stock market and was becoming a monk. It's a hell of a way to have a conversion. Do you have certain items of food, like are you low on butter? You can just go on your phone and see the camera in your fridge. Gosh, and no, I, I can tell you with the, with the three kids at home, I can tell you it would be news in my house if we weren't running short of milk. Kieran's going to go back now to the banking inquiry and we'll see him maybe in a few months. And Jim is going to go off and place a bet on whether Britain stays or leaves the EU. He's Kieran Hancock. That's Arthur Beasley. This has been the Irish Times Business Podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>